Hey everybody, it's Kelly. Welcome back to the You Are Not Broken podcast. This is a cool question and answer session that I did during Taboo's office hours. If you've never heard of Taboo, it's a very cool company looking at midlife and menopause sexual wellness. Uh, Natalie is the CEO and she's amazing and she does these office hours where she had me on. And today's office hours, we're talking about the brain and sex. And it's just so good. She kindly gave me the recording to play here. So I really hope you enjoy. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you, I am holding my first ever amazing Sedona retreat, March 22nd through 25th in Sedona, Arizona. I'm very excited. It's going to be relaxing and we're going to work on our mind and we're going to work on our body and we're going to work on our goals and we're going to work on understanding if hormones are right for you and we're going to work on how to prescribe hormones for all of the prescribing people that come. And if you are a medical professional, you can get continuing medical education and use that as a good reason to go to a luxury retreat with me in Sedona. Also, I have some gifts for the next three people who sign up. So, oh, you also get a copy, a signed copy of my book, which is currently off the freaking market because it's going to be republished. What is that? Is that the second edition? Is that what that means? Uh, likely September 2024. So you currently can't get my book, um, but you can if you uh, come hang out with me in the Sedona retreat. So sign up for that, go to Ascend Retreats or DM me on Instagram and I will send you the link to the retreat. If you haven't heard about this retreat, you're sitting under a rock or not following me on Instagram. Could be either one. So shout out to heytaboo.com. You can find them on Instagram at heytaboo, T-A-B-U, uh, for doing this amazing recording with me and hope to see you in March in Sedona. Also for all the medical professionals, uh, I'm going to be at Ishwish. Uh, you hear me plug Ishwish all the time because they're an amazing organization, but I'm going to be at the Ishwish annual meeting in February in Long Beach. Can't wait to see you there as well. All right, on to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Love y'all. Welcome to the You Are Not Broken podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Casperson, a board-certified urologist, thought leader and conversation starter on midlife living, hormones, and sexuality. Enjoy the show. Thank you all for joining us for this month's installment of Office Hours, where we ask our medical advisors all of your sexual wellness questions. You're all on mute, but we'd still love to hear from you. As I mentioned, we've received a ton of questions ahead of today's discussion. But if you have any questions that come up as we're talking, please feel free to use that Q&A, and we'll be sure to get to them as the conversation gets rolling. It's important to note that this is not to replace a conversation with your doctor and not to be considered medical advice, but just for educational purposes. So always keep that in mind as we walk through some of this guidance. And um, last but not least, there will be a short survey at the end of the, of the uh, Zoom. So please give us the gift of feedback. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Kelly, Dr. Kelly Casperson. She is a urologist, wife, mom, sex educator, and top international podcaster whose mission is to empower women to live their best love lives. Kelly identified the need for better resources and developed a sex education class for women that covers topics like sexual health, intimacy, mind work, and the science of desire, which are so <laughs> in line with what we're talking about today. She combines education, humor, and candor in her podcast titled You Are Not Broken, where she dismantles the myths, normalizes healthy, or dismantles myths and normalizes healthy, enjoyable sex worth desiring. She is also the author of the book by the same name titled You Are Not Broken. If you don't have it, please be sure to get it. And we are delighted to have her as an advisor here at Taboo. 
it's been a while since we've done one of these things. So I'm it so has been a while to have you back. Um, thank you for fitting us in to your insanely busy schedule. My pleasure. As you guys all know, so today's topic is about sex and our brain, and we've never covered this topic before, but we have so many beautiful questions to get to that cover desire, libido, kind of, you know, the whole gamut. And I want to start with this one question that really struck me. So it says, I'm sure it helps your brain, but how? So how does sex help our brains or is there a connection between those two things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our brain is the it's the top of the whole body, right? It's really like Western medicine that separated the brain from the body kind of in this nomenclature. And it's a complete misnomer to think that these are two separate things, right? Like the research that's coming out in the gut as it's having its own brain, right? The research that's coming out in the heart, that the heart has its own nervous system, right? So it's really the fact that we've separated body and brain is completely fake and false. And I'm happy to start you know, making that go away. We, we, I think they did that because the brain was such a black box, right? We couldn't study it in the 1800s. So we just kind of separated it from things we could study like heartbeats and infections and stuff like that. Um, but so sex, sex in the brain, um, orgasms are very calming. They, we think there's a boost to the immune system, certainly partner bonding, pair bonding, um, oxytocin release, right? And feeling connected. Uh, there's so many good things. We've got some data, more data in men than women, but men who, and older men who are sexually active actually have a longer life expectancy wow. than men who aren't. Whether that is because of cardiovascular benefits, uh, you know, what that could be um, is worth looking into. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I've all, and I always I always shy away from like, you need to have sex because you're going to live longer. You need to have sex because it's good for the brain, right? Because I think this conversation can slide into that. And that's never meant to, to do that. But it's like, of course, our bodies are sexual beings, right? Our bodies are meant to have sex. Uh, there's probably something good to having sex. Doesn't mean you should or you need to. But so I, I always like to kind of separate that out. What's your line? You stop shitting all over your sex stop life. Stop shitting all over your sex life. Well, yeah. you know, you're, if you want to live longer, you should probably have some orgasms. Like it gets yeah. into, it gets shitty very quickly. Yes. Yes. But that's not to say that there aren't, you know, positive signals to, to doing it. Mm -hmm. So how about this one? Um, is my brain still processing desire and arousal the same way in menopause or is estrogen running the show completely? Mm. Yes and no. And yes and no. Um, it's a, the answer really is yes and no. And what I mean by that is estrogen affects everything in our body. We have estrogen receptors in our brain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're really starting to change the conversation, I think, this year from testosterone being the hormone of desire because there are many women I give estrogen to and they're like, my desire is back. My sex life is great now. Oh, my God. Who knew? I'm yeah. good. I don't need to. Right. So really estrogen as a hormone of desire, I think has been underplayed and taken over by testosterone being that, that hormone. Um, but certainly for a lot of women, estrogen plays a huge role. And that is to say, it's not the only thing, right? There's, there's women who have wonderful amounts of estrogen and they have really shitty crap, you know, crappy sex lives. So it's, it's not a, a one-to-one. -one. And in addition, 
some women can't take estrogen after menopause. Those tend to be our breast cancer survivors. Um, I do believe within the next five or 10 years, they're going to start being allowed to use estrogen. I just, I really think the pendulum swinging on the safety of this stuff, but I, I digress. But there are some women post-menopause who hormones are not an option for them for various health reasons. And it does not mean that you are doomed. Yeah. Uh, desire is complex. Arousal is complex and estrogen is not the only thing. But certainly if you're noticing a change in desire as the hormones are changing, uh, that is a legitimate thing that happens to a lot of people. Okay. There's actually a lot of questions that get into people who either aren't comfortable with or can't take hormones. So we'll get into those as well. Um, mm -hmm. So before we get there though, there's a lot of questions around getting turned on and like, how do I spark this thing that I know that I used to have? Um, so let's start with the simplest version of this question and maybe, you know, it'll teeter into the others, but how do I turn on my brain so that I can get turned on? Yep. Um, so I love this question because this, this tells me that people are understanding that you, it's the sex is not a passive thing. Desire yeah. is not something that happens to you that you can just sit here and take a supplement and then desire happens, right? Like this is a very active thing. And we live so much of our day-to-day -day life in our, what I call a sympathetic nervous system, right? So you're out in the world, you're solving problems, you're getting stuff done, you're go, go, going. And then you're like, yeah, I don't really feel like having sex at the end of the day. Number one, you're tired, right? So think about, you can think about having sex earlier in the day for some people. Experiment with afternoon sex on the weekends, it'll change your life. Um, but don't do it when you're tired, right? When you're tired, when you've saved it for the end of the day, you don't have any gas left in your tank, right? So that's number one. Number two is really learning what does your body need to relax, to be accepting, to be calm, to be focused in the present moment, whether that's mindfulness, meditation, uh, erotica, a vibrator, just a bath, Right. And really understanding in order for me to be receptive to sex, I need to switch my nervous system and my state. And it, it's not just the right lube or the right undies. Right. So, so many of us are looking for that easy, easy, easy. It's like, it's not how the brain works. Right. And so, so I, I hope that's helpful. And I can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. What this is, I love this question because I, I struggle from this. I'll be, I'll be honest here is how do you turn off thoughts about taking too long, um, how to shut down the brain and let like desire take over. So if you're in your head a lot in the act, like how do you get out of it? Yep. Um, mindfulness, body work, getting yep. back into the body, understanding that these thoughts are there and it doesn't mean that they're right. It doesn't mean that you have to latch onto them. And really that's where, you know, mindfulness comes in. It's like, you see a thought, you work on letting it go. You see a thought, you work on letting it go. And I love the, like, it's taking too long thing. Cause it's like, dude, what is sex? If not like just supposed to be massively enjoyable and relaxing. Right. And people like want to rush that. It's like, yeah. so once you like, you, let's, let's look at it from 10,000 feet. Right. It's like, it's super silly to like, this movie is so good. I wish it was over faster. This yeah. meal is this meal is so awesome. I wish it was over faster. Yeah. Right? Like, oh my God, this is the best cup of coffee ever. I wish there was less of it. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's really pretty silly once you break yeah. down this whole like, I'm taking too long. It's like, hell yeah, you are. Like, good for you. And if you're feeling pressured, right? Either from yourself or from your partner, that's something to be like, come on, love. Like, why am I yeah. pressuring myself on this right now? Come on, love. What, what what's wrong? Uh, or talking to your partner and being like, I sometimes feel pressured 
is can we talk about that? Because they might be like, oh my God, I do not want to pressure you. Like I love being here with you. You're right. And just talking and communicating about that can really help those kind of stresses crumble down. Yeah. I love that. Comparing it to a a meal or a movie. So when I was young, another question, um, when I was younger, watching porn or visualizing a sexy situation could turn me on, but no more. Does your brain response change as you get older? I'm 59. Yeah. So it could be hormone change. Absolutely. At 59. What's the number one reason that older men's penises don't work? Cardiovascular disease, mm. right? So they just don't, they don't have the blood flow. They don't have the arousal that they used to have. Mm. Female pelvises are no different. And I think the, we've underplayed the role of our heart health and our metabolic health so much in this country. And so we can't just say like, oh, it's just your hormones. It's like, what's your cholesterol? Are we smoking? Do you exercise? Realizing that sex really is, it's a physical activity, right? And really understanding our metabolic health affects our endothelial and our blood vessel health. And that's incredibly important for that blood flow, that engorgement, that arousal that happens in all pelvises. Yeah, But we like, we know that well, not everybody knows, but we know that erectile dysfunction is a sign, a harbinger of heart disease in men. We've mm-hmm. really underplayed like what, what about a 59 year old woman that doesn't get aroused as easily? Is that the same thing? Has she been evaluated from a cardiac metabolic standpoint? And are most women not getting that type of evaluation or, or should, should they be? Oh getting God, it? no. We, but even men aren't, and they've got an erection. They've got a bellwether sta- staring at them in the face, right? It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot uh, more challenging when it's when I'd say a lot of women don't even know what arousal feels like mm-hmm. in general. Um, to go to your doctor and to be like, I'm having trouble getting aroused, and they're like, yeah. let's check your cholesterol and do a calcium yeah. score, right? <laughs> of like making that leap to cardiovascular health, but we've made that leap for decades in men. And I think, I think we're not, we're not addressing that in women. Interesting. That's so interesting. Um, this is a, a form of that question, but back to the erotica piece. So how do you spark the imagination, you know, erotica visuals yet avoid sexual content. You don't want to support slash see. Mm-hmm. I never sought out any sexual content until perimenopause when I struggled to, to ever feel turned on. While it helps me, I'm very torn on whether I'm supporting harm. I was raised to believe all forms of pornography were negative, so it's tricky to find healthy boundaries. It's a beautiful question Um, because porn isn't black and white. It's not all good, all bad. And I I think it's, I think this question is beautiful in them understanding that putting ourselves in a sexual context, right? Because our body, our brain and our body subconsciously all day long is like, don't have sex now, don't have sex now. You're at work, you're at the park, you're at the, right? And it's like really understanding putting ourselves in a sexual context is very good for getting the blood flowing, for getting both brain arousal and pelvic arousal going. But then at the same time saying, I want to be smart about this, ethical about this. I only, wow. I, like, I, I want to do it in a way that benefits me it doesn't hurt other people. Uh, two resources, and I know there's more resources than this, but the Rosie app, R-O-S-Y, Rosie Wellness, has wonderfully curated uh, reading erotica. So there's stories. You can be like, is this story, do I like it? Do I not? And you yeah. can move on by. Um, there is a audio erotica called Quinn that a lot of people will, that gravitate towards, and that is a female founder. 
uh, I don't I don't know if it's Hello Quinn or what it is, but Quinn for audio, and then visual, one that I think is is good in the like it's coming from a very good place is MakeLoveNotPorn.com. This was okay. started by started again a female founder, and she said she her just behind this was like people are getting sex ed from porn and that's not okay. And it's not normal. And it's not how people have sex normally. And it's not what sex looks like. And so this is basically video. If you, if you're more like, I, you know, I want to do some video of normal humans having sex. Yeah. Which you can learn number one as educational, but number two as, as erotica. Um, and so I, I believe that there is, that is ethical. Um, it's people who want to be there and, it really normalizes all bodies, all humans are sexual. Mm -hmm. I put those um, links in the chat base, you know, if you guys want to copy and paste them and maybe put them in a notes app so it doesn't pop up, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but those are there. I think those are all awesome uh, recommendations. Yeah, that was that was reading, audio, and visual. There yeah. you go. Yep. Love it. Okay. How about this one? I think this is very interesting. Um, sex seems like work and tiring. Even when I orgasm, everything has to be perfect before I want to have sex. I am a healthy, active person, but I feel like I am not sexually active enough and healthy with my partner. Once a week is a good average. I'm 57, but this has been pretty consistent throughout my life. Is that normal? How can I get help to improve? Yeah. Um, there's no normal in how many times a week we're supposed to have sex. So, so yes, yes, you're normal. I would say, you know, if, if things have to be perfect in order for you to have sex, I would love the role of a sex therapist here to be like, why, why are we, why do we have conditions? Right. And we all have, like, I like to take a shower after I work out. Right. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if it's influencing or affecting your relationship, that's at that point. I would say, okay, it's time to talk to somebody about it, to be like, where, where did this come from? Why is it this way? And, and is it impacting your relationship? And certainly communication with your partner, because one time a week for them might not be enough. And that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't mean you need to have sex more. It doesn't mean they have to have sex less. It means you need to have a communication because we all need to see feel validated. We all need to uh, feel seen. And really the communication there is what keeps that bond together because the unspoken barrier between are we having sex enough and what people need to feel fulfilled is what ends up driving people away. It's not the amount of sex that you did or didn't have that drove yeah. you, that drove that relationship away. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's a really good distinction. Um, this might be connected to what you just, what you were just talking about a couple of questions ago, but I want to ask it because it has a, a specific new nuance. So I have ADHD. It's hard to stay focused on sex. How do you stay present? Can my brain help me? So is this the mindfulness work again, or is there something else that you would really, um, recommend to this person? Yeah, I, I think both, you know, the mindfulness work, the nervous system, are you, you know, ADHD getting from the sympathetic to parasympathetic, right? Really making sure we've calmed the nervous system as much as we can. Um, re, and this again is mindfulness is refocusing back in the pelvis. I'm in the pelvis. I'm, I'm in my body and I'm in my pelvis. Just telling yourself there until you can actually spend a little more time there than you have. And I think so many people are, are like, well, it doesn't work. Yeah. Can't be done. Of like, yeah. well, I can't go run a marathon right now either. But mm -hmm. if I spend some time 
working on that skill, I will get better at it. Right. Yeah. And that's how I feel about, you know, people who are like, oh, my mind just goes crazy with sex. It's like, well, yeah, because you haven't trained it. Right. Yeah. Like it, it this, these things do happen, but they do take some work. You know, another thing that might be helpful if for people who are like, I want to be in my body more. I want to be in my pelvis more because I do think, you know, being in your pelvis, being in your body, that's how the orgasm happens. It doesn't happen in the future. It doesn't happen if you're thinking about the past. Right. The orgasm happens when you're in the present moment um, is a vibrator can be very useful for people who want that like tactile, more vibration to like get them centered in yeah. their body and in the pelvis. So and this so related question is and I don't think there's a one answer to to this, but I want to make sure to ask it. How often should you use your vibrator to alleviate painful intercourse? Ah, well, it's a good question. Um Painful intercourse can be for a lot of different reasons. I, you know, I think this goes back to the use it or lose. Maybe this is alluding to the use it or lose it myth, right? And again, I get very protective about my ladies and shooting all over them with like, well, you know, if you don't use your vibrator three times a week, you're screwed. Like yeah. that's not how it is. You know, pain with sex has a lot to do with your pelvic floor, how tight your muscles are, how well you are lubricated, how good of a hormone status do you have down there? It's not just like use a vibrator. Yeah. Right. And so I just want to be very clear on that. Um, now, there is some data that says, hey, people who are more sexually active tend to have an easier time being sexually active. Yeah. Right. And so like that part of use it or lose it, I will acknowledge that's a, it's just like, if you're pretty good at lifting weights, turns out you're pretty good at lifting weights, right? Yeah. Like your body is kind of ready for that. Yeah. Ready for that. Right. So there is something to that. And I would say that there is not a standard eight fruits and vegetables a day for vibrator use. Mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. So here's a related question. So I I had this person says, I have had a few years of avoiding sex with my husband because it was painful. Since I started using taboo products, the pain has almost disappeared. However, I still get nervous and tense up afraid it will be painful. How can I get over that? And will I always have to use products during sex? So that kind of gets back to your brain, kind of reminding you of that pain. Yep. Yep. So sex therapy can be awesome. Um, EMDR, there's a new thing called art therapy, which is basically rapid eye movement that can be very, very helpful in kind of helping with, because what we're describing here is a person who's been through some trauma, right? Yeah. We, we've had pain, we've had avoidance, we want to approach again, but I'm fearful of the safety of that, right? And so that's really where a sex therapist can come in. Physical therapist can be like, you know what? You've got a tight hip, mm -hmm. tight hip, and maybe this position, we need to support this with a pillow or the taboo pillow or you know whatever we need. So I'd say get your experts to really help you with this. You can't always cognitively like white knuckle through some of these problems. Yeah. Um, as far as do I always have to use products? I would answer that with like, why wouldn't anybody not want to use products? Like, it's just so much better, right? Like I always think about it. Like, is there a point where I'm just going to not have to floss? Well, yeah. When you, when you don't have teeth, right. But, yeah. but I wasn't born flossing. Well, I know, but it's, it's enhances our life to have, have these products, right? Like, yeah. That's how I think about lube is like lube should just be there for you as a friend with sex from your first initiation. It's not something you now have to do because you're 60 is like, dude, just it feels better with lube. Normalize it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is interesting. How do I focus on my partner more trying to get in the rhythm with him? 
talk to him. Talk to him. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes eye contact is too scary. Yeah. Right? And so I, I think that's jumping six steps ahead. If you're like, look into his eyes more. It's like, that's, yeah. that's very vulnerable for a lot of people. But just talk to him more outside of the bedroom. Right. What about else? Out the bedroom, outside of the yeah, bedroom. Absolutely. You know, that's where intimacy is created and like really good intimacy. There is a level of vulnerability there mm-hmm. that that is in the definition of good sex yeah. and intimacy for some people. And so it's really in order to be vulnerable, you have to be vulnerable. But that's where a lot of connection is made and realizing how do you feel connected to them outside the bedroom? Right. Mm-hmm. And doing more of that, the more connected you are outside of the bedroom, the more connected I, I find people are in, in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there any, this is a follow-up question. Are there any tools to open lines of communication and long-term monogamous relationships after a few years of almost no sex to rekindling joy in, in sexual intimacy? So I know we mentioned sex therapist is a really good resource. Are there any other things that you may recommend? Yeah. Um, Talk about it on a walk is really nice. Walking is very safe because mm-hmm. um, you're not looking at each other in the face. You are doing movement. The body perceives movement and scanning the horizon is a very safe activity, right? And you can be, uh, use use yourself, or I always say, use me, of like, you know, I've been listening to this really amazing podcast and learning a lot about my body at this point in my life. And it makes me realize that X, Y, and Z right? And so really making it about you and your learning and your curiosity and realize they they haven't done the professional growth that you've done, right? They haven't listened into this. They haven't, they haven't thought about it or they're doing their own thing on this. Like, it's okay if they're not on the same page as you right away, Mm -hmm. right? It's really, it's about like, how do they feel about this? How do Mm -hmm. they feel about their relationship? What do they wish was there that isn't? And it's like, then once you're talking, you get to learn to be a good listener. Yeah. Right. And not yeah. judging them because they, they've been in a sexless marriage also for three, two or three years. How do they feel about that? Yeah. Right. And really reforming that connection and realizing that it's the couple that it's all of, it's not like, well, uh, taboo told me I'm supposed to be having sex two to three times a week. We better get on it or we're yeah. going to die earlier. Like, right. Like you don't want to get into this like goal oriented yeah. behavior it's really about like connection, deepening your relationship, feeling bonded. And it's an absolutely beautiful thing. I love that. And it reminds me, like we learned on a, on a recent office hours um, from one of our public floor physical therapists that women need 20 to 40 minutes of arousal for proper blood flow by some measures. And every male I have told that to has been floored by that data data point. And I think sometimes grounding the conversation in a data point that's like separate from your relationship that perhaps feels really shocking, but interesting that can kind of lead to a conversation back to your own intimate life could be really helpful too, because it's not as threatening. It's not about you or us. It's about our bodies just generally. Um, And I think generally speaking, a lot of men, if your partner is a man, respond to those types of data points. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can bond over the fact that nobody got good sex ed, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay, how about this one? This is interesting. I've never, we haven't heard this question before. So when my partner ejaculates inside of me, sometimes there is a burning sensation. Why does this happen? It could be a lot of different things. (laughs) I cannot say like, oh, that's the one thing that this is, right? It's like, 
Is, is the skin thinning? Is it irritated? Uh, do you have a sensitivity to that? Does it, does it happen when you have a condom on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is it something about the semen? Is it your pelvic floor muscle contraction, right? So to me, I'm like, eh, if you really want to get to the bottom of that, see somebody who's trained in sexual health, who can evaluate you for atrophy, who can ask yeah. these types of questions. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just want to know, like, is it okay? Is it dangerous? By and large, it's it's okay and it's not dangerous. But if the burning is severe, then I'd say get worked up. Is there an infection? Is there you know is there something going on? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, my partner uses his hands more to pleasure me than his penis. I have a collapsed bladder sling, and sometimes I feel like my bladder is affected from the hand. Is this a problem, or do I need to repair the bladder spring, sling? Excuse me. So let's clarify that slings are for bladder leakage. Okay. Bladder slings don't fall down. Okay. Um, let's use modern language because a lot of people in the past, I'm a surgeon who does pelvic floor reconstruction. So to me, this is a meaningful conversation. Yeah. Um, some people will say like, I got a bladder hitch. I got a bladder sling. What they mean is they had a prolapse repair, mm -hmm. right? So the modern use of sling is a very okay. small piece of mesh for stress incontinence. Okay. So I just, I, we got to get on the same page with that. So what I'm thinking they're saying is they have some bladder prolapse, mm -hmm. which is lack, which is again, not bladders, not the bladder's fault, but people don't like saying vaginal prolapse because they don't like saying the word vagina. <laughs> um, so what I'm thinking they're saying is they have some vaginal laxity and it might uh, affect their bladder. Like if the, if the hand's pushing up on the bladder, they might get a sense of urgency, a sense of uh, frequency. Some people will leak. Mm -hmm. Right. And so really getting that evaluated from a, both a pelvic floor standpoint um, and no, it doesn't mean you need to have surgery. You can you can absolutely be sexually active without fixing your prolapse. Um, but a pelvic floor physical therapist might be useful. Seeing somebody about your bladder issues specifically. You know, my question as a urologist is, do you have other bladder issues during the day? Do we need to address that? And it'll help during sex. Um, so, but no, I don't think there's anything specific about using fingers that okay. I, I would say you can't do. Okay. We actually have a lot of questions about prolapse. So since we're here, let's maybe spend a beat talking about this. Um, I'll ask you two different questions and maybe we can answer them together. So one is just most, mostly most current info regarding prolapse. So if anything has changed regarding the treatment of that, and um, the second one being, can prolapse and mild urinary incontinence be completely reversed? What needs to happen? What is the most effective? And how long does it take to reverse these problems? Mm -hmm. um, so yes, mild incontinence and prolapse can be reversed. Uh, pelvic floor physical therapy. And also making sure if you need hormones, vaginal estrogen is amazing for collagen helps both bladder leakage. Uh, and I just think the strength and integrity of the, of the vaginal epithelium. So mm -hmm. just to back it up, vaginal prolapse, commonly called bladder prolapse, because we don't like saying vagina, mm -hmm. but vaginal prolapse is think of it kind of like a laxity or a, a hernia. I hate the word weakness. Um, so I, that's why I like the word laxity is just, it's more loose than a vagina that's 18 years old, has never yeah. been through perimenopause, has never had a, a large head pushed through it with childbirth, you know, so it's, a, they're just more laxity. Um, first line therapy is pelvic floor physical therapy. I get everybody started on vaginal estrogen because I think, you know, we see this happen a lot more post menopause for a couple of reasons. Number one, we lose our muscle strength in general, 
and then we also lose our hormones, which is really important for blood flow, for collagen, um, and for muscles. Mm -hmm. So that to me, and I, I do surgery for prolapse, right? is surgery is really either it's stage four. So I say it's between your legs and no amount of Kegels can lift that back up or it's really affecting your quality of life. I can't be active with my grandkids. I can't garden. Uh, I'm aware of it. I have to push it back in to poop or to pee. You know, those are the things where it's like, Hey, this is affecting your day to day. Yeah. We're going to fix it. Just like we fix a man who has a hernia. We're going to fix a woman who has prolapse. Same, mm -hmm. same. And how long, I mean, I'm sure it depends on this, this, what stage it's in, but how long is the recovery from a surgery like that typically? Yeah. So we usually say no lifting over 10 pounds for about four to six weeks, outpatient okay. surgery. You rarely spend the night in the hospital. If you still have a uterus and the uterus is falling down, uh, we usually use a, add a hysterectomy to that. If you have a uterus that's well supported, we can do uterine sparing, um, so lots of different options, but by and large, outpatient procedure can be done in an hour. Now, oh, also nothing in the vagina for about four weeks afterwards. So we do say halt sexual activity, penetrative sexual activity. Got it. Um, here's another good one. Well, let's start. Let's let's stay on this topic for a little bit longer. So getting older, I seem to need to use the restroom right now a lot more. Is there something I can do from for that? Yes. Pelvic floor physical therapy and vaginal estrogen. Yep, we're there. Got it. Um, okay. Is it true that women on hormone replacement get their sex drive back along with their natural juices flowing again? Is there anything that can help in the in that department if you want to be spontaneous and don't have the the any lubricant on hand? I can't take hormones replace hormone replacement and I would love to go back to the days when a lubricant was not needed. So this uh, kind of goes to earlier your earlier point. Well, you can be on vaginal estrogen. You can. Yeah, you can. So that's the first thing because people, our education about hormones is so poor that we don't understand that vaginal estrogen is very different than systemic hormones, right? And so some people cannot be on systemic hormones. I would argue more people can be on them than they than think they can. Yeah. But pretty much everybody can be on vaginal estrogen. If you have a history of breast cancer, endometrial cancer, of course, get a blessing from your oncologist, but by and large, those people can also be on vaginal estrogen. So that's usually twice a week, right? I always joke and I'm like, yeah, use it as much as you floss. And then everybody argues because either they don't floss or they floss every day. Like twice a week, it's all you everybody need. Should floss. <laughs> yeah. Everybody should floss more than twice Not a week. Should, I think we should keep it. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, and so that was for the spontaneous question is like, do get on some vaginal estrogen, you know, then maybe you'll have great tissues and you won't need it. But spit works, spit works in a pinch, people. Yeah, yeah. But even I think younger women should have a lubricant handy. I think I everybody think, should use that. I think everyone should have a lubricant. I think it just, it totally changes the pressure you put on yourself. Um, and it, it makes the experience that much more enjoyable. Yeah. And, and to me, I'm like, you know, you should always spend time to get aroused to have some yeah. natural lubricant, but sometimes people don't naturally lubricate, right? And some people, sometimes people just want a quickie. Mm -hmm. So there's, yeah, there's, there's no one way you have to do all of this. Absolutely. Um, okay. Here's this, this question was just a statement, which I love, but I won't, I won't read it. Um, okay. What is the best way to improve libido and pleasure 
during intimacy when so many factors are suppressing sexual functions, such as hormone blockers, chemo-induced menopause, and resultant painful intercourse due to vaginismus, atrophy and dryness, as well as blunted sensation in genitals, clitoris, breasts. This is all so discouraging. Our bodies change over time. It's our job not to judge it. It's our job to try to love ourselves through this process. And it's, and it's our job to be to be sad and to yeah. process that our bodies are different than they were, you know, in the years past. It is all normal. But I guarantee you that rushing it, hating it, fighting it, abusing it is not going to help, right? So yeah. in general, for this level of of things. A sex therapist is amazing. Pelvic floor PT is amazing. Go to a sex, uh, a, a, a doctor who can specialize in this, who can say, is there a dose of pelvic hormones that is okay for you? Because even women on aromatase inhibitors or hormone blockers can now by and large be on vaginal estrogen. Again, blessing from oncologists, but we do have ACOG online statements uh, that you can go and, and look at that for women who are currently being treated for breast cancer. Um, but really, it, it takes a village and a team. Um, I think women's sexual health has been neglected in the you know cancer department. It's it you get a lot of aren't you just glad to be alive? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and some women are like, well, not if this is what life is, right? And I think that really does need to be acknowledged. Mm -hmm. um, but really, what again? It goes back to the white knuckling through this on your own. There's literally no reason to do that anymore. There's great books. There's great podcasts. There's great physicians. There's great therapists, and realizing we were not meant to go through this whole thing of life alone. Mm -hmm. You're not meant to figure this all out on your own. We we can't do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A couple follow up questions in the chat from um, about vaginal estrogen. So two parts: Is vaginal estrogen safe for postmenopause, and is it only available through a prescription? Yes, it's only available through a prescription in the United States of America. The UK now has an over-the-counter. Um, I'm blanking on it, but it's the yeah. tab. It's the tab form, not the cream form. Um, it's funny because you have to be a certain age. Do you have to be 50 or 55? You have to really? be a certain, yeah, there's an age on it, which again is crap because like breastfeeding women, it's incredibly useful to them and, and you can have vaginal dryness before your periods end. But yeah, there's an age limit on like, you can't get it over the counter in the UK unless you're over a certain age, um, which I think is funny, but whatever. <laughs> That's really strange. Funny slash restrictive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in multiple countries, vaginal estrogen is over the counter. But in the United States of America, currently it is prescription. I do not see that changing anytime soon. Okay. And is oh, it and is it say is it say I I think it's mandatory. Mm -hmm. Which is like the opposite of safe. Like yes and yep. mandatory. Yep. Uh okay. you don't have to take my word for it though. Like if you've never even heard of vaginal estrogen before, do not take that statement without like educating yourself on what is it, what's it useful for, you know, it, should we use it as a preventative medicine, right? Yeah. Why, why are we waiting for women to suffer before we put them on vaginal estrogen? What if we just start everybody at the age of 55? So understand I'm coming to this statement from years of experience and research. If you're new to what the hell is vaginal estrogen, I'd need to take you there a little bit more slowly. And my podcast is probably a very good place to get that information. Also Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, and I'll put the podcast link or the link in the chat again so that people have it. Um, so while I do that, I'm going to give you another question, which is 
a great question. It starts off by saying I have a very strange question, but there are no strange questions at office hours. So after my hysterectomy in 2011, I felt like my vagina was bigger because I couldn't feel my husband's erection. He is saying something feels different too. I am 63 now and he is 70. Ever since my hysterectomy, our sex life has taken a nosedive. What do you think? Any ideas here? A uh, pelvic or physical therapist to say, is this weaker muscles? You know, have we uh, had decreased vaginal tone either because of weaker pelvic floor muscles or we have um, no hormones, right? So I think of that, and I think a lot of people don't think of that when they think of the surgery, right? Because they're trying to figure out like what piece of the surgery messed this up instead of like, well, other things that happened after the surgery where maybe your hormones changed uh, and also pelvic floor weakness, also scar tissue, right? Lots of things. So pelvic floor physical therapy, sex therapist, because now you've got all the psychological baggage that you've put on top of the sex being different, right? Of like yeah. body image, uh, communication about this avoidance, all, all of the, all of the, again, going back to sex is biopsychosocial. It's not yeah. just the fact that your uterus was removed. There's many, many other things going on. Mm -hmm. So can the brain overcome post-cancer prescription drugs to achieve orgasm? So interesting question about just general medication and orgasm, um, issues. Or yeah. um, I would want an exam of the clitoris. Do we have clitoral phimosis? Do we have atrophy because of hormone blockage? Um, do we have more, you know, body image issues? Do we have, you know, the psychological sex therapist stuff going on? The there is a medication called flibanserin that works on dopamine in the brain. It's uh, FDA approved for hypoactive sexual desire in premenopausal women, but it works in postmenopausal women. The FDA just made us split those women into two groups, which is stupid, um, but can also have a pretty beneficial effect on orgasm for some people. Not FDA approved for orgasm, but nothing's FDA approved for orgasm. Um, so I think about that as well. Uh, there could be a lot of different things going on. Okay. Let's talk about libido. With all the products out there for women's libido, do they really work? No. <laughs> of course not. There's your short answer. Now, placebo works for libido, right? Mm -hmm. Because libido is in the brain. Um, libido is kind of a, the Freudian word for sex drive. Yep. What a lot of people don't understand is that there's a couple of different types of libido and it's all normal, right? So what a lot of people don't understand is that responsive desire, meaning you're not looking for, you're not going to go seek out sex, but when you put yourself in a sexual context, kind of like the questions earlier, right? Then you're like, yeah, sex is cool, right? Mm -hmm. Like to me yesterday, I had no libido. I was not seeking out sex. And then yesterday evening, wanted to bond, got myself in a context, had great sex, right? Yeah. Like you really understanding how libido works and it's not always a spontaneous, like you're sitting on the couch. You're not often thinking about sex, right? That was spontaneous desire, but you're like, Hey, let's go there and see what can happen. That's responsive libido. Like yeah. I'm putting myself in the context, then I have great sex. So I, the question I always ask people is like, do you have fun at the party? Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, I have fun at the party. And I'm like, just prioritize going to the party. 
Yeah. Have fun at the party. You don't need a spontaneous sex drive if you just want to prioritize the party. Now, if they have a bad time at the party, they've got pain at the party, or their partner has pleasure, but they don't. They're just yeah. rushing to get it over with. Whatever. Let's say it's a bad party. But I'm like, well, you're never going to desire going to a bad party. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think so many people get hung up on this libido thing. Not really understand. There's a chapter in my book that's called fuck libido. <laughs> because it's like, why are we so hung up on libido? Like, go have a great party prior. You know, I wish I desired physical fitness. Yeah. And sometimes I do. Yeah. But a lot of times I'm not desiring it. But like, I'm in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. because I just go to the party and then I'm glad I'm at the party. Yeah. But if I had to sit around waiting for motivation to go to the you know gym, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I, do, I love educating people about libido because it's rarely, sometimes it is the problem, but it's rarely the problem. They've got a bad party life, right? Or, or, or they have a great party life. They just need to prioritize that more and stop worrying about libido. Yeah. And I'll say with a big but, but, if you want to want, just legitimate. Do you want to want? Some people want to want. That's where we start thinking, okay, what's going on with the hormones? What's going on with the relationship? What's going on with your brain and your thoughts? What's going on you know, with all of that? If, if you truly are like, I want to want, then it's like, all right, well, then we can work on that. Yeah. But we can't work on that until we understand like, how's the party? You know, all, all the other things. Well, and I love your working out example because it reminds me of, we talk about this all the time at Taboo, is like routines. Like if I, I, I start to feel different if I don't go to the gym, if I break out of that routine that I've set for myself. And I think the same can be said for libido and desire and like wanting sex. If I, you know, have decided that that's not a priority in my mind anymore in my life, then you start to be like, okay, I guess I can live without this because I'm used to it, right? But the minute you prioritize it again, I think your brain turns on that that um, want to your point. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's a, that's a very good point. And I think so many people are like, like other drives, right? Like the hunger drive, thirst drive, sleep drive, for example, you will die if you don't do those things. There is an innate drive in our body to do those things. Sex Often, as we mature and age and we get into long-term relationships, we're we're not going to die for not having sex. And actually, the less we have sex, the less we're actually interested in it, right? Because you're like, well, whatever. Life's okay without sex today. Life's probably going to be okay without sex tomorrow, right? And the other thing on that is we have so many other things that we get dopamine for. Yeah. This this day and age, I just I mean, I think about the the heydays of sex life, which was like literally every other century except for this one is like, what did you have to do in the evening? Nothing. You didn't even have electricity. You know, what was awesome. Sex was probably pretty awesome. Yeah. There's nothing else. You did not have ice cream. You did not have Netflix. You did you did not have a movie to go to. You did not have a restaurant to go to. You literally had nothing in your life that was interesting besides maybe one book if you could get a hold of it and sex. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I think of like our body, our bodies want dopamine as cheap and easy and lazy as we can get it. And if that's Netflix and Haagen-Dazs on the couch, you're going to want that way more than you're going to want to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. That was a tangent off of some other thing. But like the other day, I was like, man, the 1700s, you know what was interesting back then? Sex. 
Yeah. That's, I've never thought about that, but it's so true. Because there was nothing you had that you ate the same thing for dinner for your entire life. Probably food was not interesting. Entertainment was virtually non-existent except for like the thing that happened in your town, maybe once a month. Mm -hmm. You know, it was interesting going to church and having sex. That's all. That's all that was happening. People. Totally. Um, I'm maybe biased, but I, and I'm so guilty of it, but I think probably doom scrolling Twitter, Instagram, and the dopamine hit I'm getting from that is not going to be as good as a dopamine hit I'd get from spending time with my spouse in the bedroom. So we should prioritize it a little bit, maybe. But But from like, from like an energy expenditure, it's way, way cheaper just to sit and scroll. Right. Um, okay. We have another long question and I think it's going to follow similar themes, but I want to take a a beat to to read it out to you. So I'm in a four-year breast, I'm a 40-year breast cancer survivor with chemotherapy-induced menopause, resulting in vaginismus and vulvodynia. I've worked with a pelvic floor physical therapist, which has helped to reduce pain during intercourse, but I can't seem to get over anxiety related to painful sex and low libido, some of the things we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. I can't take systemic estrogen or, or progesterone HRT due to my breast cancer type, and I'm on tamoxifen. Mm-hmm. I do take vaginal estrogen tablets, um, 10, three, t- 10 MCG. What's MCG? I always forget. Micrograms. There you go. Micrograms three times a week, which has improved my vaginal atrophy, but the tightness in my vaginal tissues and some pelvic floor muscles remains despite my therapeutic work with dilators. I also work with a counselor weekly for PTSD since my breast cancer treatment. I am physically fit and at a healthy weight. I do hit workouts and pre- regularly practice yoga. I would love to hear any recommendations on anything else I can do to overcome these challenges and be able to relax and enjoy pain, discomfort, pain, discomfort, free, uh, sexual intimacy with my husband. Thank you for your help. Love it. Um, you're doing a lot of great things. Give yourself all the credit for being where you are. This is rough and not easy. Um, I don't like the the estrogen tablets because it doesn't seem to target the vulva. Right. And so don't forget the vulva people. (laughs) so many people have pain with penetration on the six o'clock right uh on entrance and a tab of estrogen in your vagina doesn't always hit that so to me i'd be very curious what does your exam look like do you have clitoral atrophy is your vulva still thin because that tab of estrogen up in your vagina is not addressing it dhea can be amazing intravaginally the product is prasterone it's pricey, which is a problem, but you can get it compounded. DHEA converts to both estrogen and testosterone and can be a game changer for the skin, vaginal epithelium and the, and the, um, and the vulva. So, so I, I think, and again, this is me guessing and not giving individual medical advice, but my guessing, I'm guessing you're undertreated in the, uh, vulva care. Um, yeah, and then she's doing so many things. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I'd be curious about that exam, um, sex therapist, EMDR, rapid eye movement therapy, and then really to work on the kind of the trauma of it, but it sounds like you're on the right track for that. And then for intimacy, intimacy is more sex is more than putting something in the vagina. And we need to go back to that. We need to realize that because so many people are like, this is what sex was. So this is what sex needs to be. And I'm here to say that's not true. 
right? We, we, we're kind of, ti- we're really tied to idealizing the past of like, if I can only put something in the vagina, that means I'm healed. That means I'm having real sex. That means that's what my partner wants. That means blah, blah, blah. And really expanding that to be like, what's our goal here? Is our goal to put something in the vagina? Is Or is our goal to feel connected, bonded, intimate, passionate, sexy, you know, all the things with our partner? And I would say, I would say some people's goal is to just put something in the vagina. Yeah. But you're missing a big boat. Yeah. If you're like, what about erotic massage? What about clitoral play? What about things for him that he likes that isn't putting the penis in the vagina? And really exploring that together. That might be a together sex therapy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is always a, a more we can think about when it comes to like, you know, because I, I, I hear this question and I'm like, okay, she just wants to put something in her vagina. Yeah. Like, but that's, that's, that's one eighth of what sex is people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and does it have to be a penis? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really expand. You don't have to take my word for it. Right. I learned all this from my sex therapist of, and I've learned a lot of this from my patients who come back and they're like, Oh my God, sex is so much better now because it's not just sticking something in the vagina anymore. We're connected. We have a great time. X, yeah. Y, and I've, I've ha- I have more pleasure now than I've ever had. And that's because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Right? So it's like, you not to take my word for it. I didn't just like show up spouting things to piss people off of like, this is what people tell me. I see it. I see it so much better because they did the work to be like, what is, what, what are we trying to do? What is our goal? How, how can we get there together? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we have a few, uh, and I know we're not going to get to all the questions today, but I'm going to try to get to as many as we can. So I come to, I come close to orgasm with my partner inside me, but can't always get there. He wants to help me, but I'm not sure how, he, what he or we can do. Any mm-hmm. ideas? Um, clitoral stimulation, yeah. externally, vibrator, vibrator, hands, whatever, whatever that might be, a different position. Uh, thinking of the taboo pillow, right? Yeah. Uh, different position, different angle. Um, and again, remember what you what your goal is right now is really what Hollywood told you that sex is between yeah. a heterosexual couple. And and yes, it might be very nice to have an orgasm with a penis inside of you, but that's not the only way that sex can be pleasurable. And that's not possible for some people, right? The the clitoris is different from the vagina and just putting something in the vagina doesn't always produce an orgasm. Yeah. So I always like to step back and be like, okay, you're, you're going for one very specific technique here, which is not attainable to all humans. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But if you want it to be attainable, you're probably going to need some clitoral stimulation in, in whatever form you can get. What about, this is so interesting. So do the foods you eat affect the brain and its ability to desire sex or to have good sex? I'm thinking about sugars and carbs, especially. Thank you in advance for allowing us to ask questions. Yeah. um, It's a fantastic question. I don't think we're going to see, I haven't seen a study on this. I don't think we're going to see a study on this. Certainly, let's go back to the beginning of this conversation where we were talking about the link between heart disease and Mm -hmm. sexual health, right? And so we know that eating foods that don't serve our body or can cause inflammation can lead to heart disease, can lead to arousal issues. And so I think, yeah, I think it does matter, but I don't think, I don't think you're going to get a big study that says, you know, what's specifically bad for orgasm snicker bars, 
Like we're not going to, we're not going to ever get that specific. Um, alcohol is horrific for erections. Alcohol is horrific for, and by erections, I mean all pelvises that experience, you know, orgasm and, and arousal. Alcohol is absolutely horrific. Cigarettes are absolutely horrific. Um, alcohol is interesting because it can decrease inhibition and it also kind of makes you myopic, meaning it makes you be in the present moment. Yeah. Um, and so for, for brains that have trouble being in the present moment, th those brains can find that alcohol is useful. I'm not saying use alcohol, but I'm saying this is why people use alcohol, right? Because they're- Why the guidance is like grab a glass of wine to be intimate. Yeah, because it de it's a it's a depressant and it's a de or it's an inhibitor de inhibitor right it makes you less inhibited, um, but long term alcohol is horrifically bad for you, uh, and I never advocate that the solution to a sex problem is alcohol. Yeah, um, one more question is how do you find a reputable sex therapist? Asect a a a s e c t asect.org. You can type in your uh, zip code. It's very rigorous to be an ASEC certified sex therapist. Um, so th that training is probably second to none until I start hearing of other things. They're not available in every town, um, but a lot of people are using remote technologies now um, to find a therapist that might be in their state that, that is free. So ASEC. Awesome. We also had a question about, will this session be recorded? Um, yes, it will be recorded and we're happy to follow up with uh, with you with the recording. Um, they're all posted on YouTube, so we'll be sure to do that. Dr. Kelly, it's always such a pleasure. I always learn so much from you and I'm so glad we had you back on to kick off the year. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, so fun. Thank you so much for the opportunity. That's it. Thank you all. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of You Are Not Broken. If you want to dig deeper with me, sign up for my adult sex education masterclass where you learn adult things like communication skills, anatomy lessons, and desire types, and how to talk to your doctor about sexual health concerns. If you want the adult sex education masterclass for free, join my monthly membership for more in-depth, exclusive content, more time with yours truly, a private podcast, coaching, and educational empowerment. And you can watch my interviews live and get them immediately without advertising. Head over to www.kellycaspersonmd.com for the membership and adult sex ed masterclass. Members get the masterclass for free. This podcast is presented solely for educational, entertainment, and informational purposes only. I am a doctor, but not your doctor in this format. And all of my platforms and guests, including on this podcast, are not giving individual medical advice or practicing medicine. See and consult with your own care team for your individual needs and concerns. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for the care and advice of a physician, therapist, or other qualified professional. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine, in case you were curious about that, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. But I still love you. Using the information on this podcast or any of my platforms is at your own risk. Until next time, remember, you are not broken.